Father, we thank you for your presence here today. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. And Lord, we thank you for your Spirit that brings forth wisdom, understanding, and life in our hearts, Father. And Lord, we praise you, Lord, that we're here today to learn about relationships, Lord, and how we can move forward healthily in relationships. And we ask you for wisdom. We ask you, Father, to give us direction, Father, make things clear in our hearts so that we might build relationships with bring, which bring you glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's give the Lord a praise just as we take our seats. It's wonderful to see all of you here today. We're continuing this series on relationships, looking for love. And it's one of those funny things where we start to preach on uh, relationships and suddenly the church gets fuller. Amen. It's good to see all of you here. Now, Christian was here with you last week and started this series off. Last week, I was away celebrating the Bible school students. As you know, last Sunday was graduation Sunday. We graduated our Bible school students. It was a great time of celebration and a great opportunity to recognize their achievements. We had our highest scoring students ever as an average right last year or this year that we just graduated. And it's such a pleasure to graduate them. Some of them you would know um, and do congratulate them when you see them. They also made me principal on Sunday, last Sunday, so I'll be leading the school into the next few years, which is good. Amen. So um, expect more and more. Come and join us in Bible school from me. Amen. It's been a while since I've preached on this t- kind of a topic, but uh, many of you who've been around for a while will know that I love ministering in this area. The main reason is because most of the pastoral issues that I deal with are around the area of relationship. And so we really want to enable people to take hold of some principles that they can apply to their situations and hopefully build uh, strong, vibrant relationships. Because we want to see the church released in this area. We want to see the church released in friendship relationships as well as romantic relationships which lead towards marriage. So that's the whole purpose of this series. And I want to start out by saying, you know, some of what I say might come across a little bit old-fashioned, but I want us to reflect on why would we want to think about something like how to build relationships. I think most people have been there and tried the serial relationship approach. This person, that person, the other person. And the the further you go into that uh, line of building relationship, the more dissatisfied we become with the outcomes that are expressed in that arena. And so I believe that God calls us back towards values and principles which work and glorify him in this context. And so that's the kind of direction that I want to go today. It's going to be quite practical, and the focus will be quite practical. So I want to start out with a scripture, spend some time looking at this scripture. It's a a scripture that all of us know very well, and then jump off into some practical outworkings in the context of relationship. Now, I want you all to do me a favor today, okay? I've just been reflecting. Uh, I know that sometimes I stand on people's holy cows and do it in quite a blunt way. So will you do me a favor today? If I'm getting too hardcore, sit in silence. Okay? If I'm saying things that connect with you, give me an amen and a hallelujah and a smile. Because that way I know I'm with you, all right? So I don't want to destroy too many holy cows today, but we do need to address some of these things. Let's start with 1 Corinthians 13. All of us know it well. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. 
If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. This is a passage that gets read at every single wedding that you'll go to. In fact, one of my non-Christian friends was joking around with me and said, oh, are you having readings at the wedding? 1 Corinthians 13. He knew the whole setup around marriage and this specific passage. But the reason I've chosen it to start today is the whole intentionality revealed in Paul's description of what love is. And he's saying that you can have everything. You can have the world. You can have all of the spiritual power. You can prophesy. You can do miracles. You can uh, be a martyr. You can do everything that you think is of value. But if there isn't love right in the core of it, it means nothing. And he's talking about love from a Christian perspective, a love that is patient, a love that is kind, a love that does not envy or boast, that is not arrogant or rude. Basically, this is a love that is serving, a love that is active, a love that is for the benefit of somebody else. Most of us today use the word love in a very different context. You know, the way we say I love you means I'm going to get something by saying this. I love you. Okay, give me something. I love you. Bless me with something. I love you. Do something for me. Instead of understanding that this whole word love, as defined by God, who is love, is about giving and service towards others. And this is expressed in its perfection in Jesus Christ on the cross. And it's so important that we understand that Jesus, part of what he died for was for us to have healthy, life-giving, whole, God-glorifying relationships. Because he's freeing us from the sinful habits that we express towards one another in relationship. He's enabling us to learn to walk in forgiveness. He's enabling us to walk most powerfully in love. The call of God upon our lives as Christians is to be a loving people, to seek to serve others as a consequence of our having met with Christ. And when we look at Christ on the cross, when we see the immense love that's revealed for us as Jesus dies for us, that's to be our example. That's to be the framework in which we seek to build relationship. And I want us to consider the gospel as the foundation for moving towards healthy, whole relationships. Now, you'll often hear a, a phrase, love versus lust, in a Christian context. And most Christians would seek to assert that the lust of the world is what the world calls love. And we seek to define love differently, just as I've sought to do just then. But where love grounds the physiological and emotional responses as we see someone that we're attracted to is that it causes us to look beyond that immediate response that might last for three minutes to three years of, wow, that person is hot, all the way through into, I'm going to build a lifelong relationship with this person. Love is what moves lust into a purer context because God has designed us to be physically attracted to people and physically attracted and emotionally attracted to our life partner, but that sits in its right context when we frame it in the bigger context of love. Because love is about giving. Love is about service. Love is about self-sacrifice. And that's the context in which we would seek to move forward in relationship. See, wisdom 
is taking a considered approach to the way that we build relationships founded in love. And so the title for today is uh, The Difference Between Courting and, and Dating. And, you know, maybe for some of us it kind of sounds like a bit of a, what, does, that, does that really, what's the difference, you know, what, what, what's it mean? Now, I know many daters. Those are people that you just know, they know how to get to the first date and the second date and the tenth date and maybe the 50th date. But maybe converting out of dating into building a lifelong relationship is the big challenge. And so I want to frame or position courting as a framework. I don't particularly like the word personally, but it's a word which describes an attitude or an approach towards relationship. It's where we are intentional about the direction we're going in with our relationships. So because it's an approach, and I'm going to unpack that approach for us today, I want us to be clear that I'm not saying that this is the only way to build relationships. I'm not saying that this is the only way that you're going to have a successful marriage. I am saying that it is a good set of principles to seek to live by. You can't claim holiness just by adopting a framework. And neither should it become legalistic and cause you to feel guilty if you don't achieve it. But it's to approach relationships in a way which does give them the best possibility to move forward to a healthy conclusion or a healthy uh, continuation. And first, let me say this for you Christians. It's really, really, really important that we get this. And you're all being way too quiet, so soon is a moment for you to practice that. Hallelujah, hallelujah, amen. But it's way too easy for Christians to get so super spiritual that they say, the next person I date has to be the one. I'm not going to make any more mistakes. I'm not going to date the wrong person. I'm going to get it perfectly correct this time. What we want to do is provide a, a forum or a framework within which we can make mistakes, okay? Within which, within which we can learn from our previous bad decisions and move healthily towards stronger relationships. And it's so important that we understand that we start there, that we are humans and we're going to make mistakes. Because there's a big, big problem in the church that I know many of you know about, and maybe we need to address this here briefly. And this problem in the church is that everybody's watching. <gasps> Did you hear so-and-so is dating so-and-so? Look at them. And then maybe we might see them out for dinner or for lunch. <gasps> They're dating. They're doing something that's dishonoring to God. Or we might um, then, you know, go to our friend. You know that person you like? Sorry. <laughs> They're off the cards. <laughs> you know, that whole thing's done. You know, you've got to move on. It's a big problem because the whole church seems to think that they have a right to look in on people's relationships. And just let me humbly tell you, if someone is in relationship with somebody else, it's none of your business. None of your business. <laughs> Amen? <laughs> Amen. I like that one. <laughs> now, if you're a friend of somebody else, and it's really wise if you're uh, seeking to build a relationship to have some friends that you bring in and allow into that relationship so that you can walk it out with them, but if it's somebody else that doesn't know you, just say, oh, I saw you with so-and-so. 
None of your business. Oh, did you see so-and-so and so-and-so? You're gossiping. It's none of your business. It's so important. Why? Because you know what the consequence of gossip is in the church? The sad consequence is that good-meaning Christians or well-meaning Christians, they, they want to explore the possibility of relationship with someone, but they don't want that person to be all over the news if it doesn't work, work out. And so what happens is they pull aside to secretive relationships, which are outside of the church context, don't have healthy input, and therefore end up in a place where they can't deal with their issues when they come up. They don't have support if they choose to break up, and they have all kinds of reasons that are unhealthy reasons to stay together because they don't have a community around them to help them out. You have a responsibility, church, to honor people that are in relationship. You have a responsibility to think, you know what, none of my business. None of my business. Let me pray for them. Let me encourage them. Let me help them grow from a distance. So today, I want to explore three hopefully simple words which can unpack how we move from dating into courting. The three words are prepared, directional, intentional. Another title we could have used for today is this, giving your partner the gift of yourself or learning how to give into a relationship so that it can move in the right direction. Now, everything that I've chosen to talk about today, largely I'm going to talk from my own um, testimony and story with Rebecca. The reason for that is, in the past I have talked using other people's stories, and instead of being able to sit and listen and, and receive from the message, they sit worrying, is everyone going to know that this is me that Gabriel's talking about? So, that's the reason, not because I want to talk about myself, 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 okay? I just want to protect the people that I spend a lot of time um, ministering to and helping as they walk forward with God. So please don't sit tense. You need to practice some more of that. Amen. Hallelujah. That laughing earlier on was brilliant. So let's look for more of that. Amen. First, question, first word, prepared. Prepared. Are you prepared for relationships? I want you to think about that. A lot of people haven't thought about that. You know how some people assess their level of preparation? Number one, I'm available. I've been single. I've been single long enough. I've come into church and, you know, God made me give up my partner when I came into church because it was an ungodly relationship. We were living in sin. He convicted me. I gave it up. And I've done my one year, two years, three years, four years, five years. I did eight years before me and Becca started dating, which was awesome. Not saying that so some of you freak out. Oh, eight years. (laughs) But we position it. I'm available. I'm single, God. And I've been single long enough, you better send me the somebody that I'm going to be with. It's not preparation. It's availability, but it's not preparation. Some people define their level of preparation by this. I want to. I desire it. I'm single, and I don't want to be. You know that whole gift of singleness that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians? I don't want it. I want to be married. I'm going to be that person that gets hooked up. And I'm going to be that person that gets married. No, no, no. I really, really am going to be that person that gets married. No, 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 no. So you don't understand. I've told God that I'm going to get married. And it becomes such an idol because we desire, 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 desire. But it's not 
preparation. Now, this desire is something we have to get in line with God's will. Self-control is one of the fruit of the Spirit. We have to understand that if we don't have our desires under control, we're not just setting ourselves up for failure, we're setting the person up that we're pursuing up for failure. Because what can happen when you desire marriage so much or relationships so much is that you can seek to try and meet this need to be with somebody without actually asking yourself the question, have I got what it takes to go the distance and get married and move on in this relationship? And so we end up in another partially fulfilling relationship that crashes and burns after two or three years versus a life-giving, satisfying marriage in which you keep growing and growing and knowing one another. This desire can shipwreck you if it is not submitted to God. It's a God-given desire, but it can become an idol which moves you out of the will of God into a place of danger. Some people define their preparation by a lack of preparation. I don't need to do anything. I'm just going to take it how it comes, you know. I've tried to make things happen too much in my relationships. I've tried to listen to this and do this and do that, and it's not worked out. So I'm just going to not do anything. I'm going to approach this one and see what happens. So preparation is not just that you're available. It's not that you're desiring. It's not taking it as it comes. Neither is it just because you're a Christian that you are ready for relationship. Oh, no, I'm Christian now. You know, I'm not going to do the way things the way I did them before. I'm Christian now, so now I'm going to learn to honor God. Okay, how are you preparing for that? It's a great aspiration. It's a great goal, but how are you preparing? We've got to think about how are we preparing for relationship. And I want to say that the Christian church context should be and can be one of the healthiest contexts in which to build relationship. Because it's within the Christian community. I know that in, at large there is lots of bad examples, but there are some amazing examples. It's within the Christian community that we learn how to connect with people. Let's look at it like this. Remember a relationship that you were in before you became a Christian. And you know, that sad day came where it broke up. Some of you might have got married before you're Christians. I'm not necessarily talking to you. But if you had relationships before you became a Christian and you're single or in a different relationship now, in that relationship and it doesn't go well, the relationship breaks up and you go and sit down and have a conversation with your friends. And your friends go, um, oh, hallelujah. Well, they might not say hallelujah. I'm too Christianized. Oh, Great. That person was never good for you. I was telling you the whole time. I'd never, ever, ever liked them. And you're sitting there thinking, well, actually, that was about the best relationship I ever had. I stuffed it up. I made a bad decision. I freaked out. I betrayed trust, whatever it is. And now you, my friend, are telling me that this is bad. Don't worry. We're going to go out tonight. We're going to get drunk. There's going to be plenty of people out. Just, just meet someone different. It'll be all good. You'll, they'll forget about them soon enough. Whereas the Christian community, if it's playing its part right, will sit you down and say, you need to forgive them. It might not be wise for you to go back to the relationship, 
but you need to forgive them. Second, you need to forgive yourself. Third, you need to ask what you can learn out of this situation. That's preparation. What can I learn about myself out of this consequence that will help me in future relationship? You know, some, some people don't understand this fundamental principle. It's so important. You know what happens? Say you're in a sad situation where somebody, your partner, cheats on you. And you find out. What you will immediately and rightfully experience is a betrayal of trust. So my trust has been broken here. Now hopefully you make a decision that's a healthy decision not to become a slave or subservient to that person's sin against you, i.e., oh, well, I just have to put up with it, I just have to forgive. You don't have to put up with it. You have to forgive. You don't have to put up with it. But what happens is that you learn coming out of that relationship, I can't trust. I can't trust. And so instead of learning how to protect myself so I don't get into relationship with an untrustworthy person, we move to the next relationship and simply don't trust them. You understand the difference? See, one is learning that person, that type of person is untrustworthy. Let me look for people that are not behaving in that kind of a way. So if you meet somebody in a club, and that's the way that you start your relationship, learn next time. I'm not going to meet my partner in a club. Maybe let me go to a different community, to a place where people are encouraged to live Christ-like as a Christian, and look for a partner there. And look for somebody that's different and help me learn to trust them in the right way. Now that means forgiveness to the past person and it means honoring God in the way you build your relationship now. But that is such an important principle. What can I learn coming out of this relationship that was broken? Now we struggle with this and it's really important that we understand that we struggle with this. This idea of connection. And we, it's, it's a hangover from all of your parents. You know, you, know, you know how it goes, right? You're like sitting at home like, but I really love this person. They're amazing. You know, they make me feel great. And you bring them home to meet the parents the first time. And the, your mom or your dad just pulls you inside and says, get them out of my house. <laughs> no. <laughs> I don't want to see that person ever again. And we learn to, okay, okay. I'm just not going to tell them about my relationship and just hide it away and hide it away. And we start to move into protecting relationships instead of doing relationship in a context of community, which helps us be positioned for safety. You know, especially women, one of the great things in the church is when you can have vibrant brother-sister friendships. Because when you then start to date somebody or court somebody that's a guy, you first know what a man of God looks like because you've got a good Christian brother. And second, when the guy starts to mess up and treat you bad, you can go back to your brother and say, listen, you need to come and sort this guy out. It's a great position to be in because the alternative is to continue to put yourself and subject yourself to this person's out of orderness in the way that they do relationship. It's a very healthy place if you're willing to do it. And for me, this is essential. We have to understand that community is essential. Now, I understand that a lot of Christian message out there is, you know what you have to do? You just have to pursue God. You pursue God, woman of God. You pursue God, man of God, and bang! 
just they're going to suddenly appear in front of you. And you're going to know that heavens are going to open. God is going to speak. This is the one for you. And in him I am well pleased. This is the one for you and I have designed her for you. And we expect that to happen. What planet did we get that from? If you know that she or he is the one before you've even said hello, you're in love with your imagination of that person. You're in love with what you have projected onto them and made them to be in your mind. We'll come to when we can know somebody is, in the, is the one in just a few moments. But if you're in community, it helps you approach us in the correct way. Why do I say that? First, because you're in community, you know what good, healthy men of God and women of God look like. I love the way T.D. Jakes talks about this. He talks about when Adam was created, God created all of the beasts of the ground and of the air and under the sea, and then he created Eve. The way that you know whether the man who is approaching you is a man or a beast (laughs) is when you see the image of God in your Christian brothers, your Christian sisters. Then you know what it looks like. Not to say everyone has to be the same, far from that. But you see what somebody that loves God looks like and you recognize the beast and the person who's coming along saying, you know what, I love God. When did you pray? Oh, two years ago. You know, when did you last go to church? Oh, I don't believe in church, you know. When did you last have an encounter with God? An encounter with God, what? I'm just going to heaven, that's all I know. I don't know nothing about meeting God. It's so important that we have community for that. And it's so important, this third aspect of community, because some people get into relationships and disappear. Anyone know those people? Oh, here they go again. I'll see you in six months. And then they come out, I don't know why this relationship didn't work. I did everything you said to do. How do you know you did everything I said to do? I didn't see you for six months. Maybe we need to reflect on this because if you find yourself isolated from the community that you are a part of, it's not to say that the relationship is not from God and will not flourish. What it is to say is that you're doing very well at hiding from your own issues continually and inhibiting the flourishing of your own relationship because you won't face up to the people that you're supposed to be in tight relationship with. Keeping your issues at heart instead of dealing with your issues in community so that they don't destroy your relationship. So important. So, so, so important. Learn from past mistakes is part of preparation. So many of you know what you don't want to do. I know that I don't want to be a silent partner in a relationship. And it's really important, fellas, that you understand this, that communication, you've got to learn how to do it. There's no way out. There's no way out. Sitting behind the newspaper, watching the TV, tuned out, watching this movie, music in your ears, is not the way that you build com- relationship. It's not the way that you communicate. All right? But 
so many learn what they don't want to be. They learn it from their parents. They learn it from the divorce that happens in their friends around them. They learn it from other family members who just have made things, a hash of things. And they learn what they don't want to do. We don't want to have a broken marriage. But they never learn how to build towards a healthy marriage. I know I don't want that, but I don't know how to get what I do want. So I default to get what I don't want with bad communication, bad practices, bad relationship building. Learn from your past mistakes. Another aspect is dealing with idols in relationship. Some of you need to deal with the idol of your job when it comes to your relationship. I know people that are like, you know, I'm climbing the ladder. I'm on my way up. I started at the bottom trainee. Then I got to be a full-time staff member. Then I got to be a manager. Then I got to be a senior manager, maybe a VP. Then I got to be a director. You know what? And if I stop now and I go get married, you know what? My climb is going to get stopped. You need to surrender the idol. Some of you need to surrender the idol of the type of person that you want. You know, some of you have got the idol of the silver screen. You know, I want my Brad Pitt or whoever that is. And the guys, and I don't even know where you get your selections from now. I'm hoping it's not pornography, but just, you know, it's important that we understand. What are we setting up as our idols? What are we setting up as our desires? Maybe your idol has become the imaginary person that you've made that person to be. Oh, See, this is one of the funniest things that I experienced before I was able to, to marry Rebecca, which was a life-changing moment for me. Hallelujah. But one of the difficult things is with what I do, People think, man of God, that's a man of God. That's an example of a man of God. I want a man of God. You, you know, so many people like, came up to me and saying, you know, has the Lord spoken to you about us yet? And so I became really vocal about saying this. You could not deal with me in a home situation when I'm being Gabriel. Most of my 12 can't deal with me when I'm being their leader, let alone being in my home trying to deal with me as a strong personality that knows what he wants. Most people can't handle that, right? Because it's not always godly in the way that we would suggest is godly. God has blessed Rebecca with amazing grace. (laughs) Hallelujah. To put up with me. But you see, there was an illusion. We want the man of God don't want the man of God. You want the man of God that God has provided for you. And he's probably sitting near you right now or might be at some point in the future, not the person that's standing up front. And one of the great things, now the ring is there. (laughs) All right. So you like that one. Amen. So you need to deal with your idols. To me, to me uh, let me be honest with you as well, though. I had to, I had to deal with an idol. And it's some, this personal, I'm just going to share it with you because I trust you guys and girls. Um, and so don't share it with anyone, even though it's all over the internet. Um, is when I was, I, I, the reason I talk so strongly about that idol of the man of God is because that's what I wanted. I wanted the woman of God. I had this whole setup of like, you know, they must already be in ministry. They must already be leading. If they haven't already dealt with all of their issues, then I'm not interested. They must be committed to church. You know, they must be serious about God. 
all ready-made, and I'm just going to come along. And... and one day, the Holy Spirit spoke to me. He's like, you know what that list sounds like, Gabriel? It sounds like the female version of you, and you're not that perfect anyway. So I was like, oh, okay. And so I surrendered the, surrendered the idol. And then literally two months later, me and Rebecca were on our first date. Now, the amazing thing about her is she's grown to be a fantastic leader, planted her cell, growing in God, serving here in the church. All of that is so amazing. I'm supporting her in that all the time. But if I hadn't surrendered the idol, I wouldn't have had the pleasure and privilege of walking with her through that time. You know, I had to surrender an idol. Maybe you have to think about what idol you need to surrender. Finally, final two points in terms of preparation, and then hopefully I'll try to speed it up afterwards. We need to renew our expectation of marriage. This is so important. We see so much brokenness out there in the world. So many divorces, so many parents that have, uh, no, so many kids that have brothers from different fathers and different mothers in one household, and the, the, the guy who's in the house right there and then isn't even the father of any of the kids. We see so much of this right across, and we sometimes see it in church. And, you know, people do say that the church divorce rate is as high as the world's divorce rate and what's going on and marriage is falling apart. The reality is this, though, that when somebody is earnestly pursuing God and when a couple is earnestly pursuing God, the risk of divorce is incredibly low compared to the world. See, it's the values. It's not just calling yourself a Christian. It's living out the values of the Christian life and Christian marriage, which build strong marriages. It's that that we're pushing towards. And some of us need to, we've been rightfully hurt because of these kinds of situations, but we need to have a high expectation of marriage. I know some people who just like, I'll just be happy if we just get into a long-term relationship. And you know what? You know, the idea of marriage freaks people out, so maybe we just cohabit. You know, because then at least I have this secure relationship without having to force that person to go all the way to marriage. And we need to think that through because what are we settling for? Is that relationship going to be all that God intends for it to be? Could it be more? Could we build a deeper relationship if we learn to honor God in the right context of marriage? Final point on preparation is the most important. What is holding you back from being somebody that loves? What is holding you back from being somebody that gives love in the right ways? What I mean by that is some people are perfectionists and they're like, unless you're perfect, unless you do things exactly as I want them to be done, I'm going to withhold my love from you and you better fix up and then I'll love you. But until you behave yourself, until you do exactly what I want you to do, I'm not going to love you. Or we express love in broken ways. Shouting matches. I hate you. You always do this. You know what? I want divorce. I'm done. Oh, baby, I love you. I'm so sorry. Love has got to be turned on all the time. How can we actively love somebody? Because that's what's required to build a relationship, to build a marriage. Both parties need to love. All of this is preparation. Don't think that relationships just happen by mistake. That's one of the things that I fell into. We must make use of all the resources that God has blessed us with. There's plenty of books out there. I'm supposed to advertise a book for this one. Um, 
uh, Joshua Harris's Boy Meets Girl Say Hello to Courtship. Great book. He's also got one called I Kissed Dating Goodbye. There's other books on marriage, on how to build healthy relationships, boundaries. There's loads of material out there that you need to get your hands on and start to study how to build a, a healthy, strong relationship. And spend time on your knees as well, dealing with the issues that are holding you back. Now, I, I want to pause on this preparation, uh, direction, and intention for just a moment to talk about sexual purity. So now is when you're all like, Hello, amen, hallelujah, you know. Come back to that one. Everyone here has a history, sexual history. Everyone here is coming from a place, whether you've been abused, whether you've had multiple sexual partners, whether you've been abused by somebody of the same sex, whether you've had um, internet dependencies, pornography, whether you've had movie dependencies, whether you've had prostitute dependencies, whether you've had drug or alcohol dependencies which were linked and fueled by sex. Everyone's coming from a position and perspective when it comes to sex and their relationships, and ultimately their relationship with God. And much of the brokenness and pain that we experience in relationships as we go forward has to do with things that are incurred during acts of sex. Maybe betrayals of trust are so much worse by the person that you've given yourself to, and then they go and betray you, versus somebody that you didn't allow into certain areas of your life at a certain context because you were protecting yourself. Now, a lot of people view this whole thing of sex as old time, New Testament, you know, 2,000 years ago, we've moved on, you need to get it right, Christians, you need to catch up with the times. And anyway, it doesn't even say don't have sex before marriage in the Bible. I've heard that argument so many times. I want to read for you uh, 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 3, for this is the will of God your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one should take advantage of or defraud his brother in this matter because the Lord is the avenger of all such as we also forewarned you and testified. For God did not call us to uncleanness but in holiness. Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man but God, who has also given his, us his Holy Spirit. Then 1 Corinthians 6 says, flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, or a woman does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against their own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. There's a whole message on this in uh, February 2013 called Sexual Purity and Your Anointing. I preached that at that time, so go into it in a lot more depth in that one and talk about pornography addictions and all of that kind of stuff. But what we have to understand is that wherever you've come from, God calls you to a different kind of a future in regards to how you use your body in a sexual context. He calls you to honor God with your body. Before marriage, and then to honor God with your body in marriage. It's so important that we understand that God is watching. God knows. God sees. And God has a desire for you to walk in holiness. Why? Because brokenness comes in the body through sex outside of marriage. 
You might not be able to define specifically if it's a physical disease, if it's an STD, if it's unwanted pregnancies. You might, it might even be mental health issues that consequence out of that. Or it might be spiritual issues, uniting with unbelievers and all such kind of things. But there is a brokenness which comes into the body as a consequence of immoral sexual behavior. And that is sex in any context with yourself, with another person that is not inside marriage. It's really important that we understand that. And we need a, a renovation, a renewal of our understanding because out of that's how we build healthy whole relationships. Now for me and Rebecca, that was one of the great victories that we had. It wasn't until we got married that we stepped into that level of relationship with one another. And fellas, I want to tell you, you ask the question, why? Because the trust that you have in your marriage, if you honor your wife before, you cannot pay for. You cannot pay for it. You know what? Some guys hate jealousy. Best way to breed jealousy? Be unfaithful. Right? If you don't want your, your woman coming up, what, what, what were you doing? What, what, where were you tonight? What was going on? Stop being unfaithful. Be faithful. And you'll see the difference in quality of relationship. I know some of you guys need that motivator. And it's really important that we also remember that Luther says that God gave man sex to drive him to marriage. You know, ladies, you need to remember that. If you give, give him what he's asking for too early, you will settle for second best because it's motivating him to that lifelong relationship. It's just the way that man was made. So don't give him what he wants early if you want to move forward to a lifelong relationship. Have a think about that one. Amen. <laughs> Listen to more on that stuff, February 2013. So let's come back. It, we've looked at preparation. Now let's look at direction. Now it's really important that we understand some dynamics that go on in relationships. And this always happens. Okay? It's in man's heart to conquer it's in man's heart to explore. It's in man's heart to pursue. And it's in woman's heart to be pursued. It's in woman's heart to be a chosen one. And you know how guys approach this. Guys approach this, I'm going to find out everything there is to know about you. Mr. Romantic comes on. What's your favorite color? What's your favorite food? And then you're sitting down at dinner, gazing into each other's eyes. Tell me your secrets. I want to know all of them. And at the end of that time, the guy's like, yes, she trusts me. She opened up to me. Great. See you later. And the lady's like, I opened up. I told him my secrets. Why is he not calling? Why is he not texting? What's going on? Ladies have a deep desire to be pursued. But sometimes the 99% wall that works fails with the 1% of guys that come along with some charm, come along with a cheeky smile. Somebody that hasn't dealt with their desire just to be in relationship versus actually building towards marriage. And they give the gifts that that person has done nothing to deserve. So guys, you are responsible for setting boundaries on your conquering nature. To honor your woman, whoever she will be, in the way that you deal with the person in front of you right now. 
okay? She might go on to become your wife. She might go on to just be somebody that you have great relationship with, but you decide you're not going in that direction, okay? But the way that you honor both your wife and them is to put limits on your desire to conquer. And ladies, you need to recognize that a guy has to earn. He has to earn. Don't give anything away for free. Seriously, don't give anything away for free. Because guys who are running around like males, just trying to conquer, they need the door shut. Right? We need some real men out there to show what God intends in terms of love. So when we're talking about direction, we're talking about a man primarily leading a relationship that is mutually agreed to towards marriage. Now, I know we live in a day and age where a lot of people say, well, women can propose. Great. I understand that. We're in a different time today. But if the guy hasn't got the stones to, get to propose himself, I don't know what he's doing. Okay? I really don't know what he's doing. He needs to go to man-up school. Isn't that right, Max? <clears throat> I'm not saying that Max needs to man-up. I'm saying that he would say, man-up. <laughs> okay, so what does direction look like? Direction does not look like, we'll see how it goes. Oh, you know, we're just going to see, get to know each other a little bit. I want to advocate for you intentionality, and we'll look at intentionality in a bit more depth. But how do you choose to walk directionally? You choose to move intentionally towards marriage with the right person. What does that look like? It looks like understanding that we need to be friends before we are, you know, intimately related. I need to know this person before I start to date them. Me and Rebecca knew each other for 18 months as friends before I asked her out on a date. And we would meet in social context, one of the healthiest ways to grow a relationship. I'm not saying it's the only way, but it's incredibly healthy because we got to know each other before we took that step. And because of that, we were moving in a different trajectory to the person who's like, first I need to figure out if I like this person, then I need to figure out if I'm gonna propose them, then I need to, I knew where I was going because I knew Rebecca. I was like, okay. I like her as a friend. We get on well. Let's go on a date. We had a great connection when we went on a date. So three, three dates in. That was pretty quick. But three dates in, you need to be my girlfriend. And then eight months in, you need to be, you need to be my wife. Will you be my wife? 17 months from start to finish, married. That's direction. That's purposeful. That's intentional. And that has stages. Friend, good friend, exclusive relationship, best friend, engagement, marriage. You know, some people, you know what happens? Hot! I must marry them! What about friendship? Forget about friendship! We'll become friends later! Sweetheart, I, you know... What, you're going to make me wait till we get married? Okay, <laughs> I'm going to get a ring. I'm going to come. Sweetheart, do you want to marry me? Ten days later, we got married on the beach. Praise God. God was totally in it. Amen. Hallelujah. What? You mean you support Arsenal? No. <laughs> it's over. It's over. I'm a Spurs fan. It's over. You're out. You know, you need to build friendships before you start trying to get married. 
It's really important, the direction, right? The direction is towards marriage, and it's building in a healthy way. And you've got to ask yourselves questions like, are our callings in the same area? I've, I feel I'm called to be a missionary in China. And Becca's like, I feel called to be a missionary in New Zealand. We would have to ask ourselves some serious questions. Is this really where God is calling us to be? A third direction is it always has to point towards Jesus. I mean, I know that that's the Christian answer, but it really does. Because when you live your life out of the values that Christ espouses, you will build a healthy and strong relationship. And one of the best times, or the best times in our relationship, is when we both spend our time with God together, individually and then come together. The way that it affects the relationship is unquantifiable. Versus spending no time with God, arguing, falling out. Yes, we do have arguments. Right? Because... God has to be the center. So we, let's ask some practical questions before we look at intentional. Does this mean, Gabriel, does what you're saying mean that I have to know that this person's my wife or my husband before we start going out? Heaven, no. If you've decided she's the one before you've even started to date, like I said, imaginary friend. Okay? You have to court that person in front of you in such a way that you don't rob your wife of an experience with you or you don't rob your husband of an experience with you by giving it away prematurely to them if they don't work out to be your lifelong partner. You have to be free to make mistakes, i.e. when you date somebody, and we'll use it in a Christian context, date somebody. When you date somebody, you have to honor them. Honor them as if they are God's child, which they are. And you'll see the different consequences. You'll have genuine, amicable separations. You'll be able to look the person in the eye and say, you know, I honored you. It didn't work out. I'm heartbroken, but we're better for it. Now we're moving in the right direction. Okay? So please don't hear me as saying you need to decide she's the one or he's the one. Please don't be kooky Christians. Okay? We have to move forward in wise ways. So that's practical. Okay? Let's look at intentional. Finally, intentionality is this. It's giving versus taking. I'm here to put love into this relationship. I'm not here to get my satisfaction out of this relationship. So I, I need you to tell me every day that you love me and that I'm amazing. Otherwise, I'm not going to be able to function. It's not a way to build relationship. Loving the person is a way to build relationship. Intention, intentionality is not coercion or control. It is not you have to be with me. And I'm going to, make, I'm going to tell the people in church... I'm going to tell them. Remember that gossip column thing? I'm going to tell them. You better stay with me. You know, that's not intentionality. Intentionality is building from the ground up, building a spiritual relationship. Me and Becca prayed on our second date. Amazing. Second date, right? Got to get these things right. But we prayed on our second date. We understood that we're in the same spiritual context. We like doing the same things, going out walking, although I'd need to do a lot more walking. Um, then you build an emotional and physical, uh, personal relationship and limited physical relationship. You might have to decide whether you kiss or not. Do you kiss with tongues or not? You choose, right? But you have to ask yourself the question, at what point can I not control myself? And please don't say, when we're naked, then I can turn around and just run away. <laughs> Too many people think that, right? Healthy boundaries. Healthy, healthy boundaries. Please don't stay over at each other's place. That's a fundamental boundary, right? Because I don't know anyone 
I don't know anyone who can just say, no, 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 nothing happened. It's all good. I walked away, everything was fine. I don't know anyone, so don't be one of those people. Limited physical contact, crowning it, the marriage night, physical relationship. Awesome, that's intentional. Intentional is developing your communication skills. Guys, like I was saying, need to learn to talk. Ladies also need to learn to allow the guy to talk. You know, it's a real thing. Sometimes you're so good at talking that the guy's just like, is my turn yet? <laughs> so remember that. Um, remember that you need to meet each other's needs. That's intentional. What does that person need? How can I bless them? I'm going to meet that need. That's intentional. Intentional is when you figure out that this person is not the one, and it's okay for this person not to be the one before you get married. You need to figure it out before you get married, okay? It's okay for you to turn around and say, you know what, this isn't working we're going to finish this. That's intentional. And being unintentional is, oh, I'm just going to see if she fixes up. I'm going to see if he gets his act together and really starts worshiping God. I'm just going to wait and see what happens, okay? Not leading each other on. That is intentionality. Living with your love turned on, essential. Encouraging community. If you don't encourage people to get back into community with the people that they're supposed to be in community with, sweetheart, darling, you need to forgive them. You need to build relationship with them. If you're not actively doing that, you're letting your partner down. Intentionality, because you're allowing them to, do, to continue to hold on to their own issues. You need to encourage them to participate in community. Final question, at what point is he or she the one? It's the same question as asking, at what point should this person become my sexual partner? When she has two rings on her hand, and he has one ring on his hand. That's the point. Once you've got married, this person is the one. Well, what if there's somebody else out there, my sole partner, and I've just committed to this? No, no. Once you've got married, this person's now the one. Now they are your sexual partner. Now you're building towards a healthy marriage. Okay? Up until that point, you might have a good idea that they're the one. You might be building towards a committed relationship. You might even have got engaged. But if there is something non-negotiable that is not going on, they're not going to church, they're not worshiping God, they are not seeking God as their priority, they are not being faithful, they're not dealing with their relationship issues, they are doing something that freaks you out and so crazy that you just want to leave the house at that point in time and then you come back later when they sorted themselves out. Jesus. You need to decide, is this person really the one or am I trying to make them the one? But then once you've got married, they are the one and that's it. If you've built well, okay? If you've built well. We know that divorce does happen. I'm not saying that divorce sh will never happen. But we're trying to advocate building well so that it doesn't happen as often as it does in the church. Finally, Last question that we need to think about. It's the person that you are with is your type. Oh, you know, I always had this thing for blondes, but now I'm dating a brunette. Then surrender the thing for blondes. Brunette is your type. All right? I always wanted this, but now, you know, I've settled for this one, and, you know, that person looks real good. No. They are... Your type. If they're 25, your type is 25, brunette, exactly what you have in front of you. 
If they then become 60, that's your type. You don't have these 60-year-old guys, oh, I still want my 20-year-old wife, your old wife, and divorcing the chuck, chuck this one, go for the old for the new version. No, your type is the one that you've married. Okay? And we need to limit our minds in that direction. Yes, it's a limitation. But what are you gaining out of that? You are gaining whole life-giving, satisfying, fulfilling relationship instead of chasing more of your imaginary friends who you shouldn't have been married to in the first place. Three simple words. Prepare yourself. Be moving in the right direction. Be intentional about how you build your relationship. That's the difference between courting and dating. God bless you.